Talk Zone presents Two Guys and a Mic, your mid-morning break sports talk show. It's a passionate yet lighthearted look at the world of sports, featuring the coach, John Cohn, and the big dog, Joel Radwanski. They'll recap the games from yesterday, look ahead to the matchups tonight, and cover a lot more in between. Now, Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. Oh, that music gets me fired up, David Olson. Nothing like the TalkZone.com exclusively for two guys. And I'm like, I mean, I thought it was Zeppelin. Was it Ronnie James Dio? I have no idea who it was, but this guy or woman or men or women are rocking out here on two guys and the mic TalkZone.com. kinds of news all over the place we're going to be talking sports health health care news of the weird all kinds of great things where your money are going just strange strange stories if you're flying you want to pay attention to this if you're sitting on your couch constantly all day you want to pay attention to the show and if you're wondering where john cone is i know where he's at and i'll let you know 888-463-6748 This music gets me rocking out there, David Olson. David Olson on the other side of the glass. I'm two guys and a mic. Like I said, coach is not here, so it's more like one and a half guys and a mic. around the world of sports and the, the world of political news and stuff, I, I realize it's like either it's like all or nothing lately. There's so many stories where it's just like either some guy is making it totally rich or somebody is absolutely flat busted. And if you drive for a living, something tells me you'll be flat busted. You know, yesterday, uh, I, I'm not going to dwell too long on this, but like these gas prices right now, every I mean, this is like. It's people are extremely stressed out. I I have noticed there's a lot more stress in people's life lately, and I, I think it's for the simple fact when, you know, you plan out your bills, and pretty much everybody has to do that nowadays. And oh, I have so much extra left over, and you're like, okay, well, I got to spend a hundred bucks on gas this month. Well, when you got to spend two hundred bucks on gas this month, that means you have to spend one hundred dollars less. And you got to figure on, well, maybe twenty less. Maybe I'll reuse some diapers. Uh, well, I can't eat out at all this week. Uh, Maybe if I don't pay my car insurance this week, they won't, or this month, they won't know. I mean, it's, it's gotta be rough, you know, in this time where people have so little money to all of a sudden find out today that, uh, Ben Bernanke said that not only are gas prices as high as they've been in a long time, they're going to go up another 20% at least by the end of the summer, which means that some, some, someday someone be able to call this phone number, 888-463-6748 and say they were the first person in the city of Chicago to get a $6 tank of gas. Did, did you hear what I just said, people? $6 tank of gas is on the horizon for the city of Chicago before the end of the summer. And I'm, I'm not making that up. That is something Ben Bernanke has, has talked about, how with the prices going up in the in the United States, if it continues that the city of Chicago is anywhere from 20 to 30% higher than the rest of the country, $6 for a tank of gas. And uh, you know, I, I think about it. I, I ride the train. I'm staying uh, in Chinatown during this week while I'm doing the show in studio for Coach while while he's not here, and uh, you know I'm thinking, wow, it's it's basically cost me eight dollars to go back and forth 
on the train every day. I mean, that's kind of expensive when you think about it. I'm only going like, you know, like 10 miles. Then I think about it, if I got in a car and drove there, it would be my car payment, my car insurance, which is just absolutely ridiculous nowadays. And then it would be about $15 in gas to go that 10 miles. So I started thinking, you know, hey, well, maybe not $15 in gas. It'd be less than that. But still, I'm starting to think, man, maybe it's, it's, it's not so bad. I should take advantage that I can actually read on the, on the train and instead of actually driving. But it's, it's, Making people real, real, like, uh, anxious lately, I, I've noticed. So, uh, I feel for you, even though I don't drive, I feel for you out there. So, 888-463-6748. We do have news of the weird. We got a, a little health stuff, and I, I definitely want you to stick around later. Um, you know, I, I'm not an expert on everything, but one thing I, I am an expert on is health and fitness, and I, I've get a lot of questions lately about, I, I noticed like on my, in my email or, or Facebook, Joel Erdwanski at Facebook, um, I get a lot of questions from people. Hey, I need advice on, you know, helping me burn fat, help me get skinny. Mo- that's what most of the people want to do. You get about 10% of people. Hey, man, I want to build muscle. Why, why you're, you're 35, you're married, you're not playing any sports, what you want to get jacked. So, uh, but I, I, I will, I am going to help you out with that because there's some pretty cool stuff I can tell you, just simple hints that'll, that'll help you, uh, you know, get in better shape. Uh, but before I get all the news of the weird and all that and some other uh, stories around sports, I just wanted to flat out say how happy I am that the sport of baseball kicked off this morning. Yeah, well, kicked off. I'm coach now. When it's a basketball game, coach says the first pitch. When it's a football game, he says the opening toss. He always, he, now I messed up. So it was not a kickoff. First pitch of the Major League Baseball season took place today in Tokyo, Japan, and it was the M's versus the A's. The Maz or the AMs, I don't know how you want to say this, but uh, the Mariners beat the the Oakland A's 3-1. to one. I guess the, the result isn't all that important. It's just the simple fact that I wish I would have known because I have made it a tradition whenever the baseball season kicks off in Japan to wake up at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning and, and watch the first game. I th- it ter- thoroughly slipped right past me this morning until uh, when I was uh, doing a little work for my uh, uh, for this year, man, when uh, some guy contacted me, he's like, how about that? Those M's and A's, we finally got baseball. So, man, that slipped right past me. And I was I, I, kind of a little embarrassed as, as a diehard baseball fan. I actually thought that game was today. Uh, but uh, pretty cool. So the baseball starts out in, in Japan today. Felix Hernandez pitches phenomenal. Uh, game goes into extra innings. Uh, M's win 3-1. to one. Uh, What to take note in that game is... Uh, Young superstar to be, Dustin Ackley. Uh, he had a first home run of the season and he had the, the game winning hit in the 11th. But I, probably more importantly, the fact that, you know, Dustin Ackley showed some power second baseman for the, for the Seattle Mariners out of North Carolina, one of the great players in college baseball about three years ago, was the fact that Ichiro Suzuki, who had a down year last year, folks, he had a down year last year. He had 184 hits and hit 272. The league average was below 250. So, and that was by far and away, not even close, by far his worst, his worst season as a major league baseball player. And that's after 11 seasons. Well, today he had four hits. So in his uh, first major league game back in Japan since playing for the, the Japanese league, Ichiro had four hits. And, and as, as a diehard baseball fan, as someone who really appreciates people who play the game right, I love Ichiro Suzuki, so it's good to hear that he had a, a, a four-hit game to start the season out. And, and think about this. Ichiro Suzuki coming into this year, 11 major league seasons, 2,400 
31 hits. It's over 225 hits a season. And last year, his average dropped significantly with only 184 hits. So uh, to be quite honest, he's going to get 3,000. I, I can really believe that 550 hits, technically, that could take him two years. It could be the end of next season if he gets back to his typical 225-hit pace. But obviously, with a bad year last year, you know, we'll never know. We're going to have to see. But uh, I, I just wanted to talk about Ichiro Suzuki just real quick. This is a guy that hopefully, as my diehard team, the Cubs, could take a look at and say, you know what, this is the type of ball player that we need. Now, uh, a lot of so-called baseball experts or analysts have talked about the fact that, well, he doesn't produce a, a lot of runs. Well, this is true because he doesn't hit for a lot of power. You're talking about a guy that hits about eight home runs a season. But he's supposed to be a leadoff hitter, and he's kind of been bashed because he doesn't fit the epitome of the new, uh, the new, uh, geek, baseball geek stat, the OPS, on base plus slugging. He doesn't slug for a lot. You know, he hits 350 every year. His on base is usually around, uh, 390 because he doesn't walk a lot. He gets on base to get hits, and he doesn't, doesn't hit a lot of home runs. So all of a sudden he's being bashed like, oh, he's not that good. Every team in Major League Baseball can use a guy that gets a lot of hits, runs the bases as well as anybody in baseball, and is is the best right fielder in the game of baseball since Roberto Clemente. Just saying it out there. So he's been bashed the last uh, year or two, which I find surprising. But, you know, all of a sudden the, he's been questioned whether he's going to be good. Well, he's come out this year with a four-hit game. So uh, I'm rooting for you, Ichiro Suzuki, and hopefully you turn it around. I mean, it, you only had one bad year and, and have absolutely a phenomenal season. Now, Turn in the, the page to the other teams since this is the, the first two teams that, that played. And I highly doubt that coach and I are going to be talking very much Seattle Mariners or Oakland A's baseball the rest of the season, especially considering those two teams, which are below average, are in divisions with uh, Anaheim Angels, World Series contender, Texas Rangers, been in the World Series the last two years, and they might be better than they have been the previous two years with the signing of of Yu Darvish, uh, the the Japanese phenom, who I questioned, admittedly questioned, how good he was going to be three weeks ago. Well, during spring training, the kid has been unbelievable. And I know it's only spring training, but he's been everything that uh, that Texas Rangers thought he was going to be. So it's going to be tough for either one of those two teams to actually contend in the National League West. And I'm going to just explain. I'm going to give you one name why it's going to be almost impossible for the A's to contend. Brandon McCarthy. David Olson, you're a White Sox guy. Do you remember Brandon McCarthy? Yes, I do. Uh, uh, future phenom never was for the Chicago White Sox. Sadly, they have a lot of them on the roster. Well, it happens, though, but smartly for the Chicago White Sox, they traded him away and they got talent in return, so you can't be mad at Brandon McCarthy. He's the A's number one starter in 2012. That doesn't bode well when Brandon McCarthy is your number one. If you tell me Brandon McCarthy is your number five and you're hoping that the great promise the kid showed as a minor leaguer could possibly come through, I can see 30 teams saying that to me, and I can be like, okay, all right. If that's your best fifth starter, that's cool. Maybe he could turn into something. But if Brandon McCarthy's your number one, you have basically said to everybody in Oakland, feel free to not come to the Oakland Coliseum, the worst baseball stadium outside of St. Pete, and not attend our games because we have no chance to win whatsoever. Just, just thought I'd throw that out there. So I've already buried the A's, the Mariners, as soon as you start playing the Angels and the Rangers, I'll bury you then. But it's now automatically a three-team race. 
the this the Oakland A's have been mathematically eliminated from contention in the in the American League West. And it's what's the date today? March twenty sixth or the twenty seventh? It's the twenty eighth. It's the twenty eighth. Twenty eighth. So they've been statistically eliminated uh, three days before the start, actual start of the season. Yeah, but before before the White Sox or Cubs have thrown a first pitch, it's mathematically impossible to win a division with Brandon McCarthy as your as your number five or number one starter. Excuse me, number one starter. Oh, oh, I forgot, I forgot. This year there's there's an extra playoff team because there's uh, an extra wild card team. So there's a chance that the teams with the second and third best records in the in the game of baseball could be playing a one game playoff to get into the playoffs. Just figured I'd just remind everybody that that possibility is absolutely out there. So 888-463-6748. Uh Cubs opening day is going to be at home April 5th against the Washington Nationals and I'm marking down the time. Uh this year man will be out and about around the Wrigleyville area, making appearances. Obviously, will not make any appearances in Wrigley Field because he's been banned from Wrigley Field for inciting wildness in the crowd. Not because he's done anything wrong, but everywhere he goes, Cub fans go ballistic, and this is no joke, David Olson. The one time he walked through Wrigley Field, he was noticed, he was looked at, he was applauded, he was followed, he was accosted, he was grabbed, People went crazy. Security escorts them out and said, oh, we got to get you out of these people. Let's get you around here so we can talk to the people at the front desk. And he was escorted out of the building, Wrigley Field, and was told never to come back again because they didn't want riots happening at Wrigley Field. They didn't say riots, but they said, you know, you're a distraction. People were, and you know, they kind of had a point because at first people were just looking. Next thing you know, whole sections were standing up and like running down and, you know, so... To, to be quite honest with you, I will have to give my tip of the cap to the Cubs, but I, this year man can no longer make an appearance at Wrigley Field inside the ballpark. You realize this, unless I guess they pay him to go in. Well, you can always do the Clark Kent thing, go I, in with they go in with the uniform underneath your clothes and just and just take it that's off. That's right. That's right. Ninth inning, he makes the appearance. Just to let everyone know, this is going to happen all around Major League Baseball this year. I don't have much money, but for the first time in four years. Since I finally got rid of an X, I actually have like a money a month ahead of time. Which to everybody out there, that might, what's the big deal? That's not, I have two or three years ahead of time. Well, for me, I never had a money a day ahead of time. Like legitimately, I would take 50 bucks, go buy cigarettes and sell them on the streets of the city of Chicago and have a hundred dollars in my pocket. That might sound sick, but that's where I was financially. Well, now the little money that I have is going to be invested. To go to different ballparks in the Midwest, Cincinnati, Milwaukee, St. Louis, Pittsburgh. And just in case, when I go there, if I either go there with my executive producer, Idris Akinelli, if I go there with my personal driver, Lily the Lilac, if my, uh, Lily Lilac does have no, she has no problem that I have a girl on the side now, the, the four foot five, 399 pound, uh, cubby bear. She's, she says she's not intimidated by the girl at all, which is just really cool that she can feel that way. I appreciate that, Lily the Lilac. Well, if Cubby Bear goes to a game, we already have the plan where I'm going to have the red boots on, but I'm going to have basketball tearaway pants, so I'll have my blue tights on underneath. She'll have the cape, and what's going to happen is we'll go into uh, the Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati. They have a Wednesday-Thursday game. I can be there Wednesday night and Thursday morning. Two games, about 18 hours back in the city of Chicago. And I'm going to have the boots on and everything right when we walk in the stadium. 
just in case they don't let me in because I think I've seen all around Major League Baseball people dressed up. Well, I'm going to have it ready, pull off the stuff. Next year, I'll throw the cape on. This year, man will be in the Great American Ballpark. Now, uh, I actually am doing this to get a little notoriety for two guys in a mic and the fact that I, I am a diehard Cub, fans and, a Cub fan. And believe it or not, I have somebody interested in filming this and, and making a film out of it. So I am casting for Cubby Bear. So if you want this year, man, at Yahoo, send me uh, any any. If you're an actor out there and want to get involved with this, this year, man, at Yahoo. Well, when I go in, you know, I'll be, and then I know people are going to get riled up. And I've I've decided that even though when I'm outside of the park, I get a little how do you say edgy, maybe a little borderline ask questions of drunken girls that my mom would not want me asking is the best way that I could that I could say. Uh, I do embarrass people, maybe swear a little too much, and if you act a fool, I call you out. But when I'm inside the park, it's going to be much more politically correct. Because what's going to happen is little kids come flying up to me when they see the cape. So whether they're wearing a Cincinnati Reds shirt or whatever, I'll be doing the high five, treat them like little kids. And then I'm going to walk directly below the Cubs broadcast booth. Now, Quite honestly, I may be one of the loudest human beings on the planet. Dave, I don't know what it is. I could yell loud. Whenever it's the quietest moment in a ball game, which you get, you know, the middle of April in Cincinnati, even though the Cubs are there, they'll have more fans than normal. There's only going to be, like, you know, at, at a night game, 10,000 people on a freezing April night. You'll get a, a moment of silence. And on the radio broadcast or on the TV broadcast, you can hear people screaming in the crowd. You can definitely hear me. I'm going to go right below the right below the the broadcast booth. And if you're waiting to hear what I was going to say because you thought I was going to say something controversial, I'm sorry, but continue to listen. Instead of yelling like, "Oh, I love the Cubs," whatever, I'm just going to yell as loud as I can. Ron Santo, we love you. J D R F. So all of a sudden now, when the Cubs fans like, "Oh, this guy isn't really a goof. He's out there saying." He loves Ron Santo, support JDRF. So I have a plan. I'm not going to be as uh, in your face when I'm in the other parks as I have been when I'm doing all these video clips. And you can check out the video clips at The Sherman at Facebook. There's more going to be posted today. And if you like drunken Wrigleyville girls, you definitely want to watch the This Year Man videos. Oh, my goodness. So that, that's my plan to get a little notoriety, to sneak around all the ballparks. I've talked to a couple guys. And it's funny is that <coughs> most of the people that are willing to help me are actually fans of the teams that I'm going to. Kind of strange, kind of strange. One of my best friends, a Cardinal fan, oh, yeah, I'm taking you there. Without a doubt, we're going. We are going. So I, I can't wait for that one. Um, and, and then uh, I've never seen Pittsburgh, PNC Park. I cannot wait to go there. That's like a, it's like an eight-hour drive. And i got to be honest, I don't have anybody to take me to that to that game. So if you're willing... To drive me there and drive me back, I'm willing to buy your ticket and your food at the game. Is that good? No, that's not bad. You're, you're talking about a, you know, a six, a six hour round, like trip there, six hour trip back. The only problem is there's also a night and a day game double that I want to do. The problem is that I'm willing to sleep out on the streets and I'm sure the person that's coming with me would not want to do that. So that's a little bit of an issue. If you don't know, I do sleep on the streets. I'm homeless. I live at Lower Wacker. Right about it where Madison is, so it's like just north of Madison, so I consider myself a north sider, even though I live below the street level. If you can, if you can do the the math on that, so uh, the this year man stuff 
looking good. I mean, there's actually possibilities with this, David, and I'm, I'm pretty excited. So everybody that's been out there reading the blog, posting comments and all that, I really, really appreciate it. And, uh, I, I was, uh, if you're a baseball fan, now that we're kind of like just talking on the baseball, I, I just got involved with a group called the dugout. And if you're a diehard baseball fan that really likes in-depth discussion, on baseball, you want to join the Facebook uh, group, the dugout. You got to be invited. Just contact me this year, man. I'll, I'll, I'll invite you to all those. I mean, the discussion that we're talking on there's just phenomenal. It's you know, like you know, who is your favorite player growing up, and then basically all the comments and the stuff coming back and forth. If you're a diehard fan, you would absolutely love how how uh, it's it's serious talk about baseball, but yet everybody has a sense of humor, and you can take a little bit of ribbing, and, and it goes back and forth. So I, I definitely want everybody to check that out. So Cub opening day, April 5th, Steven Strasburg of the Washington Nationals is going to be pitching against the Cubs, uh, Ryan Dempster. I'm looking forward to that. It should be a phenomenal game. And uh, I hope Strasburg has a phenomenal season. He, he was one of the great stories uh, of baseball. You talk about a number one overall pick, a guy that got over $50 million, and then his arm blows out. So Hopefully he'll be healthy, but hopefully he doesn't get his first win of the season until his second start. Now, the White Sox will open up on the road. And, and to be quite, quite honest, why can't the Cubs and White Sox open up around April 15th to April 20th every year and start out with two weeks? There is a perfect number of eight teams. Well, I don't know about now because Houston is moving to the American League next year. But as of right now in the National League, there are eight either warm weather or dome teams in the National League. And in the American League, there are seven either warm weather or dome teams in the American League. To be quite honest, why should a fan in Chicago sit out in April 5th and, and deal with that particular weather? It's ridiculous. I would rather have the Cubs have 12 road games before they start at home. And I do understand the reason why they do this is because it's not fair for teams like the Cubs and the White Sox and the Yankees and Detroit to have more home games in the summer when more kids can go to the game and the attendance is better. Well, why why can't you just make up those two weeks in late April and early May, if you understand what I'm saying? Because the idea of playing baseball in 38-degree weather, if it's opening day, people can deal with it. If it's game two through 81 at home, nobody wants to sit through 38-degree weather. I, I think baseball has to do a better job of scheduling teams to avoid Chicago, New York, Detroit, and these cities when uh, when it's absolutely freezing out. Who wants to sit through all those games? But White Sox opening day is a Friday, April 13th, just because it's Friday the 13th. Uh, don't expect anything bad. I, I don't know who's going to be pitching for them that day, but I do know one thing. This year, man, will be walking through the parking lots at the cell He's going to try to buy a ticket for game two just so he can convince him to see if he can convince White Sox fans to come over to the Cubs side because this is the year that they're going to win the World Series. Now, he's done some crazy stuff. Going into Sox Fest was one thing because there was security everywhere. It was inside. As soon as I walked in, the security saw me. They followed me, not just to make sure I wasn't doing anything stupid and throw me out to protect me. That's one of the security guards was like, we saw what you were doing and we didn't want you getting attacked. And I was like, are you serious? He's like, well, I didn't think you would, but just in case. So I thought that was pretty funny. Well, on in a parking lot at the cell, security way outnumbered by Chicago White Sox fans. And let's face it, it's a Friday. People are probably, if you're at the game, you're taking Friday off. 
So you probably have Saturday, Sunday off. People are going to be a little liquored up. This might be a little bit more risky than going into Sox Fest, but uh, I am bringing, I'm bringing people with me. I'm bringing bodyguards and I'm bringing an all American wrestler from West Point. About 300 pounds right now, a guy by the name of Joe Hogan, and you don't want to mess with him. Diehard Sox fans, he promised me that he will not let anybody beat me up too severely. And I'm also bringing uh, another one of my best friends who is uh, uh, one of the greatest bouncers that I've ever known and was a fighter in the UFC called Kyle Henskin. So I, I think I should be all right. And Kyle Henskin's known for calming people down. So I feel a little bit more at ease, but I, I do worry about Cubby Bear. Because if any White Sox fans messes with her, she'll knock somebody out. So I am a little worried about that. But if you are a this year man fan, I really do appreciate all the love I've been getting. It's slowly, slowly building. And it, it, I am going to make it happy for you. So I, I do appreciate it. So uh, enough of the baseball talk. Uh, I don't have much football either. I'm just going to just touch on something in football before we move on to the other side. Well, before yesterday. before yeah. we get off of baseball, uh-huh. we'll go back to the warm weather teams. Yes. Uh, there's actually a big, big story that came out this morning. Oh, oh before I forget, the warm weather teams, thank you very much. I, I, I wrote a bunch about it. I didn't have it in order. The Los Angeles Dodgers were sold to a group led by Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson didn't lead in the money part of it. Stephen Cohen did, one of the richest persons in the world. Uh, but uh, an investment group led by Magic Johnson purchased the Dodgers for a reported, this is from Jim Hill of a Los Angeles ABC affiliate, whichever one that is. Uh, according, And by the way, Jim Hill, no matter what he does, he's one of the great sports reporters in America. And I know he is because he's from another town. And yet it seems like whenever anything in Los Angeles was broke, it's Jim Hill's face to it. And no matter how prominent Jim Hill gets, Jim Hill, I'll always remember you. For calling up your own radio or television station when the, the, the white Bronco was going down I-5 in Los Angeles and you were crying saying, go pull over, OJ, pull over. You're my hero. OJ, pull over. Jim Hill, you'll always be that guy. No matter how many stories you break, you'll always be the guy crying telling OJ to pull over. And by the way, he wasn't watching television at the time, Jim Hill. That's why he didn't pull over. He would have listened to you. You're that prominent. But uh, Jim Hill reports that the investment group led by Magic Johnson, like I said, he's a high-profile one. Stephen Cohen is the money guy. $2 billion they sold the Dodgers for. Folks, the Cubs were sold for, what, $892 million two years ago? It looks like the Ricketts family got one heck of a deal. Now, I do realize that... The Do- you can make a lot more money off a of Dodger Stadium in terms of capacity and luxury boxes and the parking and all that, but more than double, you double it, add 150 million, and that's what they paid for it, or 116 million. That really, that the Dodgers are worth that much more than every other team in the history of American sports. The previous record was the Washington Redskins at 1.1 billion. $2 billion for the Dodgers? How, how do you expect to make that money back? Think about it. If Last year, the Dodgers made like $30 million in profit. In order to make $2 billion back, you would have to make $30 million in profit for the next 68 years. 68 years. So obviously they think they're going to make more than $30 million in profit. But I was just absolutely shocked that they had to pay $2 billion for a baseball team. I, I, I know there's you know a lot... There's a massive difference, a massive difference in 1974 
as compared to 2012. It's 39 years difference. The Yankees are a more world-famous team than the Dodgers are. The Dodgers right now have the third oldest stadium in all of baseball. Okay, so consider that. So it can't be that profitable, even though it's more profitable than probably Fenway Park and and Wrigley Field because of the, the modern amenities. But it's still the third oldest park in baseball, so it's not like it's that great of a, of, of a, of a facility. And you're talking about for two billion dollars. I'm just, I'm just absolutely shocked that they could, that someone would spend two billion dollars on a team. You know, it's funny is McCourt tried to sell the television rights and, and, uh, and Bud Sela kept ste- stepping in, stepping in, stepping in. And I was, I remember thinking, you know, why is Bud Sela, it's his team. And I know it's major. You sometimes you got to do the what's best for Major League Baseball, but I, I kept saying to myself, you know, it's his team. You allowed him to purchase it, so allow him to sell it the way he chooses to. Well, guess what? Bud Selig stepped in, earned Frank McCord another $800 million because he was going to sell the team for $1.2 billion a year ago. Wow. So I, I don't, I don't know what happened. Is it the fact that the Dodgers legitimately have two of the best young players in the game of baseball. You probably don't even know who they are. Their names are Matt Kemp and Clayton Kershaw. And to be quite honest with you, I would trade anyone. I would trade the whole Cubs roster for both of those players. I'm serious. The whole entire Cubs roster, 25 for two, I would trade, and then bring up all the other minor leaguers. The Cubs would be closer to winning the 2013 World Series by doing that than they would by just keeping their current roster. They're not any closer to winning the 2012 World Series, no matter what happens. But I, I just absolutely shocked. Two billion dollars. Plus, they don't get, they don't get Chavez Ravine as part of the deal. That's going to be a separate transaction for 150 million. Now, okay, from what I understand, let, okay, let's get this right. Not the whole ownership gets it, but there were members of that. Members ownership. of it are going to form a committee and purchase it. So, yeah, so it's the parking lot isn't going to be owned by all the owners of the Dodgers. It's going to be owned probably by Steve Cohen, who is the money guy that is in in all this. So it's not like they get everything, too. It's exactly right. But I included that because I'm assuming the money people, the real money people. I mean, Magic Johnson has money. He doesn't have Steve Cohen-type money, okay? Steve Cohen could have write a $2 billion check for the for the team. So he just wanted, like, a majority uh, part of it. What's up, David? Well, no, I mean, it just it, – it's – I'm trying to wrap my head around the, my, this number for this franchise. I mean, mm-hmm. they haven't won the World Series in 1988. Last 1988. Time. So mm-hmm. that's that's almost 50. That's well, well. Let's not worry about that because the Cubs haven't won it since 1908. Do you think them winning would actually increase their value? I think it would because it'd be bring, bring out more fans. Because don't forget, I mean, the Dodgers, you know, you know Chavez Ravine is famous for emptying out in the sixth inning. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And and the reason why is. Have you ever been in that neighborhood? At I have been, night? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've actually been there. You know, been the, there. you know, the, you hear stories about Dodger fans beating people to to death, or that was like ten years ago. Someone got beat to death two years, or was it last opening day when Brian Snow with the Giants got beat to within an inch of his life? Those people didn't drive off; they walked to their house after. Every time one of these beatings happens, people don't get away in a car; they run to the neighborhood that is right next to Chavez Ravine. And if you've ever seen the story of Chavez Ravine and Walter O'Malley, the people who live in that neighborhood have every reason 
to hate the Los Angeles Dodgers. If you don't know what happened, basically, let's just say um, Chavez, Chavez Ravine wasn't exactly a shanty town, but people of Mexican descent, basically, hey, I live in America. They decide to build their own homes on property. Like, hey, nobody else owns a spot, so next you know they claim it. And in California, if nobody actually has control of the land, it's very similar to Illinois. Illinois and California, New York, some of the most liberal ways to claim land in the world. Well, these people, you know, got there in 1880s, 1900s. It just ended up being an area where if you were Mexican, you would go there, just build a house on some land. And if you're there long enough, if you're there for 20 years, it's your part, it's your piece of land. But still, you can always pass a law and say, oh, that, that doesn't go anymore. Well, when the, when the Dodgers decided to move from Brooklyn to Los Angeles in 1958, uh, not only did, uh, uh, Jackie Robinson decide to retire because he didn't want to move across the country, which always surprised me because he went to college at UCLA and he didn't want to come out to Los Angeles and play for the Dodgers for some reason. He's like, you know, Brooklyn gave me my shot. I want to remain in Brooklyn. I, I never understood that. Jackie Robinson's decision, that's, that's quite all right. Walter O'Malley was, I know was, uh, wasn't happy about it. But, you know, they played at the LA Coliseum in, in, uh, 58 and 59, 61. Well, in 62, Dodger Stadium opened. I saw this story on the original Dodger Stadium and I was absolutely shocked on ESPN. Basically, all these people who lived in the area were forcibly removed. They weren't paid money. It's like, oh, you know, nowadays, oh, we, we, we uh, have domain over this. Your house is valued at $120,000. We're going to give you $125,000. Just shut up about it. Either take it or you get nothing. We bulldoze your house. So 99% of the people take it. You know, the, the point one don't. Either they get a lot more money or they get totally you know what. Well, the, the county of Los Angeles decided to give these people about a month warning. And then when the 30 days were up, they just started bulldozing homes, just bulldozing, sent in the armed forces, kick people out of the homes, bulldoze it. And the whole point was, you know, uh, this is where we want to build a stadium. And going back now, it's one of the worst areas in the whole of the Los Angeles to have built a stadium. It was like horrible to have built it in that area uh, just for just for like locations of like highways and stuff. There's, it's by one major highway, but it's where it all gets congested. So because of that. Nobody wants to get to the game on time. If you want to get there on time, you'll be if legitimately. If you're 10 miles away from Dodger Stadium and you try to get there at 6:30 at night, it'll take you an hour and a half to get there. You try to get there at eight, take you 15 minutes to get there, and then at 9:30, take you 15 minutes to go home. But if you leave with everybody else at Dodger Stadium, hey, take another hour and a half. And people don't want to be stuck in traffic because there's stories of windows being broke and people being like robbed while they're waiting in line to actually get out of Dodger Stadium. And, you know, I used to think, what are these people thinking? Why is there so much hate? I just remember what it was. It was the Fernando Valenzuela, Fernando Nation documentary on ESPN. And it took 25 years before the people, the Mexicans that lived in Southern California came back, ever went to Dodger Stadium, and it took Fernando Valenzuela and the only reason why Walter, or not Walter O'Malley, but the only reason why the Dodgers actually brought up Fernando was because he was Mexican. And they were like, we have to get a Mexican great player on our team just to, for an olive branch to the, to the Mexicans that we forced out of this, uh, out of this area 25 years ago. So that was like a, the Dodger story 
is extremely crazy. If you think about a team that is known for breaking the color barrier, okay, bringing in Jackie Robinson and then, you know, the first African-American pitcher, uh, you know, Dan Bankhead, you can go on and on about all the, uh, uh, the farm system, giving, giving minorities a chance to manage and coach and all that stuff. Well, they were also the team that forcibly removed thousands of people from their home just to build uh, a state-of-the-art uh, baseball facility back in 1962. And now they sell it for $2 billion. So just getting back to what I was saying, think about this. The Yankees in 1973 were sold for $10 million. 39 years later, the Dodgers, which, let's face it, is not as prominent as the New York Yankees, sold for, what is that, uh, 10 million times a billion is a hundred, 200 times more. What is that? 20,000% higher? <laughs> Man, things are getting awfully expensive. Um, by the way, if you go to Dodger Stadium, it's uh, a little bit cheaper than going to Yankee Stadium. The average ticket price is about, uh, $90 a piece as opposed to Yankee Stadium where average ticket price $300 ahead. Just, just thought I'd throw it back to, by the way, the, the day I went to Yankee Stadium, uh, David Olson, I sat, uh, the new Yankee Stadium, not the old one. At the old one, I got a, a my own box with a group of people, all I could eat and drink for $95. I was like, Yankee Stadium's the greatest place ever. The new Yankee Stadium, $195. I was even with the foul pole down the left field line, 18 rows back. $195 for those seats. It was a noon game against the Orioles in September. Can you believe that? 200 bucks? That's ridiculous. And, and I spent, I didn't spend it. Let's, let's face it. The, the, my sugar mama spent the money. She spent at least 300 bucks that day on food. $700 to go to a baseball game. I'm not kidding you. 700 for two people. It's crazy. Those are, I hate to say it, those are NBA prices. You know, I understand football. You know what? There's eight home games. There's, you know, the two preseason ones. You know, like, like I, I tried to explain to Lily the Lilac. You know what? I can miss a Cub game. There's 162 of them. If it's a playoff game, I'm watching it. I can miss a Bull or a Blackhawk game. There's 16 football games. I am not missing a Bears game. There's only 16 of them. She's like, okay, I can understand that. So I can understand you go to a football game, it's a $200 ticket. A baseball game? And the Yankees have basically come out and been like, hey, you know, we're, we're looking after the little guy. We have our, our bleacher seats are $30. We have, although I said we have bleacher seats as low as 15. By the way, the, the, the lowest seat that is not obstructed is 30. Anything that's $15, you can see sometimes as little as only 10% of the field. They sell tickets at Yankee Stadium where you can't see the field, people. Whatever, I just thought I'd throw it out there. So this is where sports is going. Now, Coach and I have these arguments. Oh, this guy gets paid this way too much, this guy. When you build new stadiums and you have no consideration for the guys like me who absolutely love baseball, and be honest with you, if I was a Yankee fan, I'd be able to afford to go to one game a year, but as a Cub fan, I can afford to go to about five games a year. They price me out of it. What you're going to have is a bunch of corporate people at baseball games. You're going to have about 10% of them really into the game and about 90% who don't even care. But then again, if you own the team, do you want a lot of spirit in the stadium? Or would you want 
the majority of your people don't even care what's going on, but spending buku dollars on beer, food, and all that other stuff. The t-shirt that says, I'm a diehard Cub fan, and you don't even know who the name of the manager is. Yeah, they just they just want butts and seats and money to the vendors. That's all they want. Honestly, yeah, if you think about it, if, if you went to the, the owners, even the Ricketts family, who I think are less corporate than, obviously they're less corporate than the Tribune Company, but I, I truly think there's a sense of I, I, more than as any we've ever had since I've been a Cub fan, a sense of, hey, let's do something right for the fans. If you think they've lowered a lot of ticket prices, they've had cool promotional days for, you know, like dollar hot dog days. You know, a guy like me, hey, I can take my, my niece and nephew to a baseball game and it'll cost me a 100 bucks for the three of us. OK, that's important to me. OK, it's really, really important to me. So when you, when you think about all these crazy prices and stuff, I, I, I'm gonna. I've, there's been a lot of hate towards the Rickett family and people who really don't understand baseball. And I'm, I'm I'm really serious when I say this. When they came in and tried to clean house a little bit and said, "Hey, we're just not going to throw money at free agents," and then people got a cup fans, oh, "That's crazy!" Blah blah blah. I think they have done more for the fan and have done more to actually build the possibility for a foundation of a winner than the Tribune Company did in 28 years as the owner of the, of the Chicago Cubs. And, and I and and I know a lot of people aren't going to agree with me there, and a lot of people are upset. They're changing Wrigley Field and all that. They have to change Wrigley Field in order to keep it here. Because if they don't update it, if they don't improve the stadium, first and foremost, that thing's going to fall down. Okay, that upper deck has been there since 1925. Okay, that thing could go at any minute. They might have to replace it. And what, what are people going to do then if they have to replace the upper deck? Oh, it's the Ricketts family fault. Yeah, because they don't want a disaster happening at Wrigley Field. It's going to happen soon. Within the next 10 years, Dave, they're going to have to replace the upper deck. At that, I love Wrigley Field. It's a crap hole. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've said for years they need to raise that ballpark down to the no. ivy in the field. No, That's it. That's do, all you need to keep. Do you know what they need to do is just literally just remove the upper deck. The grandstands are fine, and they need to put U-beams all along the backside of Wrigley Field and put an upper deck on top of it without any uh, beams and sight lines. They could totally improve that park and make it look exactly the way it was, except they would have a brand-new upper deck, upper deck. And that's it, w- it would cost as much as building a brand-new stadium. It really would if they did that. But building a new stadium for the Chicago Cubs, no matter where they put it, just say they, uh, just say uh, like on October 1st, they raise the stadium and magically on April 1st, a brand new stadium is exactly where Wrigley Field is. It wouldn't be the same. And there would not be this blind loyalty love for the Cubs. If the Cubs decided to move to Addison or anywhere else on the north side, it would be the same exact thing. But if they could figure out a way to keep the exact spot and keep some sense of, oh, this is exactly where I was at. That's the only, it would almost be worth spending as much money just for a new upper deck as it would be building a whole brand new, brand new stadium there. And people are like, why wouldn't we let them play at U.S. Cellular Field? If the Cubs had to play at U.S. Cellular Field and they improved Wrigley Field in one year, it'd be one of the greatest things that ever happened to a Cub fan. Agreed. I, 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 I absolutely agreed. Agreed. And I think the moves the Ricketts are making to buy the surrounding property, like that McDonald's, uh-huh. first and foremost, which I was like, brilliant. They should have mm-hmm. done that years mm-hmm. ago. It gives them, you know, area to expand to. Now they got to work with the city, and they might need to reroute some of those streets. 
you know, they reroute Sheffield or or Clark there. Yeah, see, Clark is such a major thoroughfare for the city of Chicago. And but Clark right there is just try to drive through there is if if you are ever driving through Wrigleyville, if you have somewhere to go before you drive through there, you might just check the Cub schedule. Oh, I had to pick my friend for a doctor's appointment at two fifteen. You might want to pick her up at. 3.30 in the morning because you're not going anywhere yeah, exactly. in that neighborhood. Exactly. Every time when I lived in that neighborhood and would be coming home from work and forget there would be a night game, I would just punch myself as hard as I could in the face. Why? Do, I'm a diehard Cub fan. I forgot there was a night game tonight. and I'm. It, it would legitimately take me two hours from Belmont to Cornelia and, uh, and Sheffield and find parking. It would be that long. It would, I'm not kidding. It would take me that long. To no, I, I, yeah. I, I lived in Wrigleyville myself. Ooh. I think I think everybody, when they move into the city, they move into Wrigleyville first. Yeah, if you're 25 years old, you have enough money to pay your rent, pay your bills, and to go out drinking four nights a week. Yep. Yeah, so, that's like, if you got enough money to do that, uh-huh. it's a great place to live for five years. And then you realize five years later, I have just as much money as I moved in. All I have is a hangover. And uh, even more bills than I had five years ago. I need to move to a different neighborhood in the city. Yep. Hello, Wicker Park. And by the way, if you had a lot of fun, uh, you have a collection of penicillins and and bug collection that you never thought you would ever get before, ever. That's that's another story for another day. Luckily, Coach isn't here because he would have he would have stopped me on on that particular one. So uh, I just want to let you know, I, I we talked a lot of baseball today, it was, but we are going to talk preview tomorrow. A baseball preview, if you don't mind. I'm going to give you some predictions and and things to look out for. If I can, I just want to go over a, a, a little news and, and touch on a couple things I, I touched on yesterday. First one is, at the end of yesterday's show, I, I brought up the whole uh, the Trayvon Martin situation. That's I, I, I admitted, just like uh, I guess the, the number now is 87% of America was completely outraged when I heard the story, and especially how it was told as unarmed, uh, unarmed teenager shot by a neighborhood watch guy holding a bag of Skittles and iced tea, and I was as outraged as every other person was. New stuff has come out, and I'm just like trying to pull back and not try to have so much hatred and, and also not trying to deal with all of a sudden the swell of hatred uh, against like white people. Like it's their fault that uh, Trayvon Martin died. Trayvon Martin should still be alive. Let's let's get that straight, no matter what happened. Now we're finding out like new information, blah, blah, blah. We'll figure that stuff out. But before you uh, call for George Zimmerman to uh, be executed or anything, let's get every, all of his side of the story. I'll, I'll be the first one to slap him right in his face and beat him down if it's exactly the way it was portrayed. But just to let you know, we don't, you know, hatred breeds hatred. Violence breeds violence. I, I really do believe that. So, you know, beating up a guy isn't all that good. But um, just, just to let you know, Spike Lee retweeted a tweet that was posted by a guy named Higgins. I'm not going to give you his Twitter handle because he doesn't need any more uh, any more notoriety. But this guy basically put out what was supposedly George Zimmerman's uh, phone number and his address and said basically in a couple other tweets after that, uh, this guy Higgins like, why don't you reach out and touch him and a bunch of other stuff, basically saying, let's go get this guy. Well, first of all, you should wait to put that tweet out to really find out exactly what George Zimmerman did. Let's find out exactly what he did. And like I said, I'll be more than willing to throw him, lock him up forever if he just walked up and, and executed, executed, murdered an unarmed kid. 
But let's find out. But anyway, so he, Spike Lee decides to retweet this post from this Higgins guy. Spike Lee has 240,000 followers. The problem with him retweeting this post, not just because they retweeted it before he found out all the information, but that wasn't George Zimmerman's information. It wasn't his address. It wasn't his phone number. And there's an elderly couple that happened to have a son named William George Zimmerman that moved out of the house years ago have been bombarded with hate mail, phone calls, threats, going to firebomb their house, all, you name it. All because somebody was going on Twitter, say, Twitter saying, hey, let's intimidate these people. Let's scare them. Get the right person. And first of all, let's make sure you're, you're I mean, this is just absolutely ridiculous. Seriously. If you are out there saying, you know, you shouldn't hate somebody just because of so-and-so, then why are you hating somebody just because of so-and-so? Okay, do you, do you see the the problem with hating people just because they did something wrong and, and wanting to hurt them and, and commit violence against them? Uh, just just after I was just begging people, let's not turn this into a, a so and so versus so and so issue. Okay, because it's I don't I have a lot of friends of all different colors, and it's I'm really proud to to say that almost all of my friends of different colors. Some of them were like, George Zimmerman deserves to go to jail, blah, blah, blah. And, they, and like I say, they might be absolutely right. But a few of them will be like, hey, let's just figure out what happened first. But they're extremely unhappy. There's no reason. Even if you got your butt kicked by a 17-year-old man, you shouldn't be killing people. I'm not absolving George Zimmerman of all that. But there has been so much hate spewed out over this. It's been absolutely, utterly ridiculous. So uh, just, I, I thought I'd throw that out there. Now, I got a couple uh, airline stories. One is going to frighten you in a sense of, oh, my God, and the other one's going to frighten you like, really? That really happens? Uh, what is the story about a jet blue? Now, everybody's going to, uh, everybody's probably heard about this. A captain, a guy by the name of Clayton Osborn, was flying the jet blue plane in the middle of the flight. The pilots, and there's been no word about what happened in the cockpit, but the pilots in the cockpit kicked out the guy flying the plane. And when he was kicked out of the cockpit, this guy started running up the aisles, screaming stuff like, um, "Let me get a, uh, let me get exactly what the stuff that this guy was." Uh, oh, I don't, I don't have it on here. But he was sprinting stuff, sprinting stuff like, "It's all going to end, terrorism, Al Qaeda, Israel, Iraq, they're going to bomb us." Imagine being on a plane when the captain is running up and down the aisles, screaming, "We're not going to make it. Better say your prayers. Al Qaeda's coming to get us." Be quite honest with you. I, I'm not like the tough guy. I'm not afraid of anything. The way I look at it is when my end comes, it's going to come. But I will tell you this. I had a captain rocking up the aisles. I would have been so absolutely horrified. I would have done what three other passengers plus an off-duty New York uh, police sergeant did, pick the dude up, body slam him on the ground, and hold him there until they landed the plane. Honestly, nowadays, what could be more scary than a captain on a plane screaming terrorism? I mean, that's talk about poop in your pants. I, I, I don't know what I would do if I, I I'm going to admit something here. And this is probably something that no one here wants to admit. But when I'm on planes, I kind of hope for somebody to get up and act. And that's sick. I get on planes and I look at every single person on the plane. And you can call me a stereotyper. You can call me whatever you want to, and I'll. And you know what? It's bad to stereotype because if I'm on a plane, and I pick out every single person that I think is going to 
be either with me or against me. I guarantee you the one that I think will be with me will be the guy with the bomb because that's how we got onto the plane in the first place. But I have to admit, I do that. every. I'll be like, okay, no, 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 yes, no, no, yes. And that's what I do, who I'm looking out for on a plane. I also look for, okay, if something goes down, I'm going to make sure that guy gets my back. I'm going to make sure that guy, it's It's pretty sad. I get on a plane assuming that I'm going to have to um, do something to, to protect the plane. And that's probably a bad way to travel, and it's probably why I can never sleep on planes anymore. So, uh, but... I don't know, Todd uh, Todd Beamer. Well, uh, on 9/11, with the, I forget the name of the flight. Uh, that's the the 909, or I forget the name of the flight. But the, basically, the young man who knew that three other planes had crashed in the buildings and basically got the group together, him and a few other men and ladies, very much leader, saying we got to stop this plane from crashing into the building, and then he yells, "Let's roll." That inspires me. Every time I go on a plane, I'm like, if something happens. We're going to find out who the who the actual, because they have fire, like uh, marshals on every plane. They didn't have one on that one. Can you believe it? They have like flight marshals on all these planes, and there was no flight marshal. They didn't notice this. They didn't mention this. He was subdued by three passengers in an off-duty. They didn't say the off-duty New York cop was a flight marshal, though. So I'm assuming, wouldn't they say, like, just another reminder to terrorists, don't get on planes because there's a flight marshal on every plane? Well, no, they, there well, was there weren't. And there still aren't flight marshals on every plane. Okay, there, there you go. Could be. There you go. Oh, there could be. See, I always thought there was at least one on every plane. Okay, okay, that makes that makes sense. There it could makes, be. Okay. Well, there wasn't one on there, and luckily it didn't uh, escalate into something uh, even crazier. Now, JetBlue has been known for crazy stuff on planes. Two years ago, there was a male flight attendant who was called an MFer by one of the passengers. And as a person who worked in retail for years and knew that in order to make about as much money as possible, you had to be nice to people, Let's, I don't want to face it. There's a lot of customers out there with bad attitudes. I've been called. I never was called an MF or I was called an, an a-hole and a bunch of other stuff. I'm like, I'm trying to help you out here. Why are you yelling at me? I'm not going to help you now. Well, like this guy at JetBlue got called an MF and he's like, Blake, you, Blake, you, walked to the back, pounded a couple beers, waited for the flight to... And walked to the walked to the exit door, popped the thing, and slid down the emergency exit, and gave everybody the double bird as he walked off the plate. That I could deal with a lot more as a passenger than a captain talking about Al Qaeda terrorism. Say your prayers, we're all going to die. I can deal with that, but man, absolutely, absolutely nuts. If you're on a jet blue plane, I, I feel sorry for those people on that. Now, another thing, if you fly, I'm sure JFK Airport isn't the only one. But there was a, a test done. And a, there were some investigations done about all these complaints at JFK. JFK Airport is supposedly one of the worst. And they were investigating uh, not only the throwers, which if you've ever seen Fight Club, a thrower is a baggage handler. That's what they're known as in the business. Or the or the airport security or the guys who drive the, the actual trams to and from the, the planes loading the luggage. Well... Since TSA has taken over, they've been doing this, uh, they did this test at JFK and over the last couple months, they have found out that there is an average of over 200 bags a day that are stolen by employees at the JFK airport. This is according to the New York Times. By the way, you can check it out. Go to Drudge Report, click on it. It's according to the New York Times. 200 thefts and it's, and it's, uh, stereotypical. If you got a Bucci, or a Fendi bag, 
they're going to steal it. And they look at the city that you live in. So if you got an Adidas bag and you live in the Bronx, they're not taking your bag. Uh, there's a, a, a upscale neighborhood in New York called Meredith. Well, if you live in Meredith and it's a Gucci bag, bye-bye. It's gone. They're taking it. 200 bags a day. And some woman who was moving, she was from Meredith, and, her, and in her Gucci bag, she had $160,000 worth of jewelry. It was stolen. Now, first of all, I mean, the woman doesn't deserve to get her stuff stolen. I, I don't care what it is. You, if you go to an airport and you trust somebody moving your luggage, it should be moved for you, okay? It, it shouldn't have been stolen. But I, I'm going to just tell this woman, you, you kind of deserve it. You put $160,000 in a bag that you don't have on your person constantly at all times. You're kind of asking for trouble. But then again, she doesn't deserve to get anything stolen. I don't care. If somebody steals a sock from you or $160,000 worth of jewelry, the simple fact that you can't check your luggage and have to, in fear of somebody stealing it is absolutely disgusting. And the sad thing is, according to this, uh, the, the New York Times, it's never reported as stolen. It's always reported as lost. So when we have to pay more for tickets because these uh, airlines have to continually pay out because, you know, hey, I lost my luggage. And, you know, there's only $200 worth of stuff in there. But people say, oh, there's $1,000 worth there. And they and they get it sent to them. It's because the employees of these particular airlines, all the airlines, are the, the throwers, the luggage handlers, have been robbing airline customers, passengers, for years. And, that, I mean, that's really, really sad. 200 a day? It's amazing. And it's all, they're all working together. They're all in cahoots. Absolutely, absolutely sad. So, Huh. I think I covered it all. I didn't get to the health and fitness segment. Basically, here's this. Do not sit down all day. It's proven that it can give you cancer. So don't be sitting around all day. So after you get off of this show, stand up, do a little exercise, and get it done. Don't forget, tomorrow on Two Guys in a Mic, it's going to be our baseball preview plus a bunch of other news of the weird. David Olson, thank you very much for, uh, for doing the job over there uh, and the production. The coach, John Cohn, is still in his house, and he's... He's not doing well. It's uh, it's mentally proven that the man is not stable, but he'll be back on Monday. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. This is Joel Redwanski, the big dog. Make sure to friend this year, man, on Facebook. Peace out, everybody. See you tomorrow.